0: All right. I'm going to start off with a with a question for you guys. By, by show of hands, if, if you don't fit into one of these categories, that's okay. Um, but by show of hands, are, is there anyone in this room who would say that you are an emotional person, or people have told you you're really emotional? Great. And then on the on the flip side, are there any of you in this room who would say I don't have emotions or I don't, or people are like, dude, you're not that emotional or miss, I guess, or girl, you're not that emotional. And girls can also not be emotional. So by show of hands, are, are you one of those people? Great. So those of you who are emotional might be looking around at those who are not emotional and be like, those people are really boring. They're not that fun to be around. And those of you who are, are not emotional might be looking at those who express emotion really intensely and saying, I can't trust that person. They might be a lot of fun, but when push comes to shove, I wouldn't want to be standing beside them because, you know, you never know how they're going to react. Um, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll come back around to that, but for now, we'll just leave it there. Um, today I'm going to be talking about forgiveness. And in order to talk about forgiveness, I'm going to be talking about emotion. Specifically, I'm going to be talking about anger and joy. So here is a quote from Dr. James Friesen. He said, Having enough joy strength is fundamental to a person's well-being. We now know that a joy center exists in the right orbital prefrontal cortex of the brain it has executive control over the entire emotional system. When the joy center has been sufficiently developed, it regulates emotions, pain control, and immunity centers. It guides us to act like ourselves. It releases neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin, and it is the only part of the brain that overrides the main drive centers, food and sexual impulses, terror, and rage. That's that's fascinating, as particularly as we deal with these other impulses in our everyday life, that that the thing that overrides that is, is actually joy. It's not control, it's joy. Later he writes, While most of the brain stops growing at certain stages of development, the brain's joy center is the only section of the brain that never loses its capacity to grow. It's the one section of the brain that retains the ability to grow for our entire lives, which means that joy strength can always continue to develop. There is a chart on the paper of your seat, so let's take a look at that. I'm going to have you um, write in some things after I try to raise this thing up. I'm going to have you work along with me so um, it's the with the, the circles go, there, go that side according to experts, joy is a central and motivating emotion so in the middle, write joy I have included hope and peace in this center circle as Emotions that are deeply connected to joy. Now, in the circle, immediately outside of the joy circle are three blanks. And in those, I would like you to add fear, anger, and sadness. As you know, these emotions are not necessarily desirable emotions. And many people would even deem these emotions as bad or wrong emotions. Even if we wouldn't actually call them bad or wrong... It's easy to try to avoid them. <laughs> we don't think it's fun to feel sad or to feel angry or to feel afraid. Has anyone seen the movie Inside Out? So these are, in Inside Out, um, there's a depiction of four of the five major emotions. These are four of the five major emotions that are captured in this movie, which takes its framework from the work of the psychologist Paul Ekman. And as it turns out, Inside Out is Actually quite instructive, if you've seen that movie. Emotions are also embedded in Scripture, in the life of Christ, His apostles and disciples, and in the lives of our fathers in the faith throughout history. So let's start in the Psalms, a, a book of poetry. If ever there was a place for emotions in Scripture, it's in the poetry of David and the, and the other psalmists. This is Psalm 6. He says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises your name from the grave? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping, and I drench my couch with tears. My eyes, they grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. We are emotional beings. We are invited to love the Lord our God with all of our heart with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And we want, to, we want to interact differently with our emotions than the world interacts with their emotions. And what I mean by that is when we, when we talk about God be our vision, God also gives us a vision as his people. And we are not to look like the world. We are to look differently. And so we need a vision for how we interact with our emotions that is maybe different, that is hopefully different than the culture in which we reside. So give us a vision. There is a concept of emotional anxiety which simply means that we are anxious about having emotion. This stems from the classical period. Plato described emotion and reason as being two horses pulling us in opposite directions. So you, you can't grow in emotion without there being a cost to reason, or you can't grow in reason without there being a cost to emotion. So for those of you who said that you are not emotional or do not have emotions, you probably operate in this belief and have learned to numb or stuff down emotions because you have been taught that emotions are not helpful to reason. Or you may have seen somebody operating unhealthily in, in their emotions and made a decision or a vow to not be emotional like that person because they, what they were doing with their emotions was not healthy. Suffing or numbing of emotions may have been a healthy coping mechanism for you. And so it's not something that needs to cause us shame if you don't know how to deal with your emotions, but rather it might be something to explore with the Lord and with a pastor or a counselor if, if you're someone who thinks I don't have emotions. If, on the other hand, you are somebody who finds that you are over-emotional or you are even controlled by your emotions, this also may not have been bad or wrong, but may simply have helped you get through life. The invitation for you may be to learn what to do with those emotions that you have. And there may be some opportunities for healing based on hurts or wounds that have happened in your life. So when we're looking at this chart in regards to anger and fear and sadness, I would deem these helpful emotions and, and why would I name them helpful they are helpful because they reveal things to, your, to our minds, and they have action steps. So, so when we allow ourselves to be in process of these emotions with the Lord, we find ourselves experiencing joy, peace and hope again. There is a returning to joy, precisely because anger, fear and sadness are being acknowledged and accepted. When we deem these emotions are bad or wrong. We simply stuff them down and we can sit in shame or anxiety or other emotions. And if we are landing in shame, this is, this is not the Lord's intentions with us. One of the major things that He accomplished through the cross, resurrection, and the sending of His Spirit is justification and freedom from receiving any shame from Him, any shame from ourselves. And even needing to live into the shame that the world might heap upon us. Okay. In regards to this chart, I want to add a cloud outside of these helpful emotions to note some emotions that we might experience when these inner emotions are not dealt with. So, when anger is stuffed down, we might become bitter, or we become annoyed, or we become frustrated. When fear is stuffed down, we become anxious. When sadness is stuffed down, we become depressed. And there are some emotions that are a mix of a couple of these. Maybe hate may be a mix of fear and anger. Hopelessness may be a mix of fear and sadness. Regardless, what is true about most of these outer emotions is that they are either actionless Or the actions that result from them are harmful to ourselves and to others. So we may complain in our frustration, or in our hate, we may rage, or in our depression, we may may resort to self harm of cutting, or, or restricted eating, or self hatred. These are real responses. They're not beneficial to us or to others. And we know that. So there's either actions that are harmful or we just feel stuck. They feel actionless. So I'm just frustrated. We say that. I'm just frustrated. Don't don't worry. I'm just frustrated. There's nothing we can do here. I'm just frustrated. I'm just annoyed. Don't worry. I'm just anxious. I don't need any help. I'm just anxious. Just let me be. I'm just depressed. So in order to not be stuck in these outer emotions, we need action steps. So what are some action steps? The action step for sadness is to grieve or lament. We talked about this throughout the series of Job. In order to return to joy, grief and lament are really important. And, and and by joy I don't mean being happy, having a present a presentation of 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 joy, but actually real joy deeply rooted within us. We we sometimes fear that grieving might just go on forever. But healthy grief it's it's more like a cloudy day with periods of storm. It's not this progression just up and to the right. Everything's always moving. Perfectly, it's not a formula for how to feel happy as quickly as possible. But neither is grief, neither is it a pit that you'll be sucked into to never return again. The sun will break through. At some point, we find ourselves experiencing joy again. More likely, we find that our lives are characterized Not just solely by joy, but by movements between grief and joy, and fear and joy, and anger and joy. Weirdly, sometimes all at once, or multiple at at a time. So, in regards to fear, the action step is submission. Your fears are not wrong. I think sometimes we hear things like, don't be afraid which is actually really unhelpful, (laughs) because what do we do with it when we are afraid? We can't just, do we just act like we're not afraid? No. So your fears are not wrong, and they're probably really valid. They're probably based in something. They likely make sense. So know that God cares for you. He sees your fear and your worries, and he doesn't condemn you, nor does he condemn your fear or your worries. Rather, he invites you to bring them before him. Submission of our fears is, is a muscle. I've been going through physical therapy, and I was just trying to correct my back. I've been in pain for about 18 months, and I've just been trying to correct my posture, and, and maybe then, I'll, then then I won't have back pain. And the reality was, I needed to build muscle that actually corrected my posture for me. So in in similar ways, submission is a muscle that we practice. And I know it's scary at first because it's actually a release of control. And hear this because you probably won't immediately go, oh, submission's good. (laughs) You're like, oh, that's awful. Why would I ever do that? Um, because it's a release of control, and we like to be in control. So, I know it's scary, and you will need to see the Lord care for you in your own life as you submit things to Him, so that you continue to grow in this muscle, and it becomes more instinctive to you, and it's actually something that you trust the Lord with over time. At first, it's going to be really hard. And it might be something really simple, and so it might seem like, why, do I, why am I holding on to this? And it might be an opportunity that the Lord is giving you to practice submitting your fears to Him. Your fears are real, and the Lord will handle them really well. He will handle them better than you will handle them. And lastly, the action step with anger is forgiveness and reconciliation. In regards to any of the emotions out in the cloud that I mentioned, these help us to ask ourselves questions, which I I think this is really important. This has been really important for me. So God, I'm really anxious. When I find myself saying that, it invites me to ask the question, okay, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of right now in this moment? Or, I'm just frustrated. And frustrated is, a, is an interesting word right now in our culture because I, I think it's our, it's our like safe word for anger. We don't really like the word, to, we don't like to say, I'm angry. So we just say, no, I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. Well, what are you angry about? What did somebody say or do, or who are you angry with that is causing you to be just frustrated? Well, that's one I say all the time. So I, I say that from my own experience. Or I'm depressed. What am I sad about? And I know some of you in here deal with in t- some intense depression or some t- intense anxiety. And so I, I'm not, I don't want to oversimplify real pain and real emotions. But I want to offer some potential steps that, we, that could be taken in the midst of these emotions. And if you want to do a deeper study into emotions... Take a look at a book by Dan Allender and Dr. Tremper Longman titled The Cry of the Soul. If you want to write that down, The Cry of the Soul. So today I'm going to dive a little bit deeper specifically into this emotion of anger in order to talk about forgiveness as I mentioned. Some of us have grown up being taught that anger is actually bad. But Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians In your anger, or in some translations, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. In this passage, there is an understanding of anger. And with that understanding is a command to love and to forgive one another. As Dave discussed last week, what God commands of us is actually to our great benefit. Yes, it's a command, forgive one another, but it's actually to our great benefit as well. Forgiveness is strongly linked to God's justice. As we are made in the image of God and and our Father, God's justice is rooted, rooted deeply within us. And anger is the emotion most strongly connected to justice. And I think we, I know that we see that throughout the scriptures. God, there is injustice. God gets angry. And then he deals with it. So I want to paint a quick picture of justice and forgiveness. If one of you out in this audience punched me, (laughs) I would probably be angry. And what would be just would be for me to punch you back. And after I punched you back, we'd be good. Everything would be balanced. We'd we'd move on with our days and everybody would be happy. Let me run another scenario by by you. You punch me, but I don't punch you back. And I just act like everything's fine. No big deal. No worries. That's fine. Have a good day. See you later. (laughs) And everything's totally fine, right? No, everything's not totally fine. I think sometimes this is our interpretation of turn the other cheek. Is that how we actually want to operate? Is everything totally fine? Is this actually the way of the Lord? Look, God's way is not a no worries way. God's way is the way of anger at injustice leading to justification and forgiveness. If God's way was an akunamatata way, Jesus would not have needed to die on the cross. Let me tell you a story. A few months ago, I was running about 15 minutes late to a meeting, which, if you know me, is probably not that abnormal, sadly. Um, and I, I arrive here at, back at Campus House or somewhere else. I arrive here and the guy I was meeting with, I look at my phone as I'm walking back here and I see that the, uh, he had texted me about an hour or two before and said, hey, are we still meeting? And I was like, oh no. Um, so I, as I'm walking back, I call him and he, he picks up the phone and he says, oh, I've, I've already left. And I say, okay, well, I'm coming back. You're welcome to, to come back to our meeting. Um, but it's up to you. And he says, all right, I'll come back. So he comes back and he gets here and the first thing I say to him is, hey man, I'm really sorry. That's totally my fault. Um, I'm sorry. And he says, oh, no worries. Well, I think that's something we say all the time. No worries, no worries. But I actually think that that phrase, no worries, is often really untruthful. Are we actually saying the truth? Because he After he texted me, he was probably like, I don't know if we're still having this meeting. And then he shows up. And then I'm not there. And he's thinking, I don't know if we're still having this meeting. (laughs) And so maybe Jeff forgot. And he begins to wonder. And then after five to ten minutes, he's going, man, like, okay, now I have this hour of found time that I didn't think I'd have. So I make all these plans. Okay, maybe I could do this or maybe I could do this. So then, then he needs to decide to leave or not. And he ends up saying, okay, it's been enough time, just, Jeff must have forgotten, he leaves. And then he gets a phone call, and he needs to decide again whether he's going to come back and spend time with me, or whether he's going to continue on with what he just decided to do with his hour of found time. And he ends up coming back. It actually wasn't no worries, if, if we look at that. And it, I know this is a, such a small, simple example, but it actually wasn't no worries, there was, it, in this situation, it actually caused some inner turmoil, and, and it was my fault. And when he says, no worries, I actually walk away experiencing none of the turmoil myself that he felt. And the danger of this, if I don't experience any of the turmoil that I caused, is that I can continue walking around in the way that I've been causing turmoil without ever experiencing the turmoil that I'm causing, because everybody's saying, no worries. No worries. So it did cause some worry, and his forgiveness is a benefit, not only to me as I receive his forgiveness, but his forgiveness is actually a benefit to him. Because what happens when we don't walk through forgiveness is that we begin to carry anger in the relationship. So it might be a simple example, and he might actually walk away from that, no worries, and he forgets about it. And, but what happens when I do that every week um, suddenly this, this no worries is this, this, this little thing, this one time, and then it builds, and then it's the second time, and then it's the third time, and then it's the fourth time, and then he's like, man, Jeff just doesn't care about me. He's a jerk. And, and, then, and then it grows in anger and bitterness, and it can, maybe it comes out and he complains about it to his friends or something like that. But the reality was, is that it's not a no worries situation. And I know that there are situations like this most days of our lives. Actually, I mean, this morning I had somebody in a budget truck practically run me off the road, and my first response was like, what the heck? Come on. And, and so I get to, as I'm driving here this morning, practice the very thing that I'm telling you about. Okay, I can sit in this and be angry about this for the next hour, or I can forgive this guy and, and move on and be free from that. So there are daily examples like this, but I also know there are much more extreme examples that many of you are probably still suffering from. So when there is sin committed against you or against me or against God, sin causes disruption and pain. It takes away from what the Old Testament calls shalom, wholeness, justice, peace, and everything, and and everyone in their creational God-given purpose. If there is no justice for sin, it just continues to disrupt, to rob and steal from shalom. Rick once phrased it, sin begets sin. If I just dismiss sin against me as no worries, it will continue to sow disruption. And this disruption is, it's uncontained. We are affected spiritually, psychologically, and emotionally. So there is a need for justice. And here is our new kingdom way of justice. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Eugene Peterson, he translates the beginning of Romans 5 saying this. He says, by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him, We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus, and that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open the door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting out praise that sounds like justice and forgiveness and invitation into forgiveness and ultimately into the joy of the freedom of that. So forgiveness is a step towards freedom. And freedom is not only a spiritual achievement, it has emotional reality. Freedom being the reception of justification and forgiveness first. First. Rick so greatly read from Psalm 103 this morning that first our freedom is because of God's forgiveness and justification of us. And then the offering of forgiveness as we embody God, as we are the church. And finally, the joy of enjoying God. So I'm going to offer a very practical approach to forgiveness. I've taken some of this from Neil Anderson, who started Freeman Christ Ministries. What I'm giving you today is not the way to forgive. Let me be clear. This is not the way to forgive. This is not a formula. This is not a legalistic practice that now, anytime, if you haven't forgiven this way, you've been wrong all along. That is not what I'm saying. It is simply a helpful tool. If you walk through forgiveness differently, great, that's awesome. However, if the practice of forgiveness is new for you, I hope this is a helpful tool as we walk through forgiveness. One thing I want to say is, about this is that forgiveness is an empowered choice, not a feeling. It is a choice within your power to bear the consequences of someone else's sin. When I choose to forgive someone, I am choosing to eat the pain that was caused me and not to pay the other person back. That is so key because I think we don't, sometimes we forgive not recognizing the pain that was actually caused me. And so we just try to move on quickly without really counting the cost. I'm choosing to release the other person based on the power and authority granted to me by God. One comforting factor in this decision of forgiveness is that we are not releasing the other person into nothingness. We are releasing this individual into the hands of the Lord as the ultimate judge, This allows us to step down from the seat of judge. Though we tend to think that the position of judge is good because it's a position of power, which it is, it also carries incredible weight of responsibility. It's really burdensome. The Lord's invitation to us is to let him carry that weight. That's what we are doing in forgiveness. We are letting him be judge. So on the back side of the page is a sentence to walk through forgiveness, um, that, on the back side of the chart. The sentence I'm going to be going through is at the bottom. So since forgiveness is a choice and not a feeling, when we forgive people, we never need to say, I want to forgive somebody. We can simply say, I forgive Derek, I choose to forgive Derek. Secondly, we forgive people for actions taken or words spoken or for actions not taken or words not spoken. Commission of some actions or words can cause incredible pain, but also omission, the lack of actions or words can cause incredible pain. As we are walking through forgiveness, it's important to acknowledge the emotions that we felt when something happened to us. This can be really difficult, particularly if you're someone who thinks you do not have emotions. This step of identification by naming emotions is really helpful. I even gave you an emotions word bank at the bottom if you (laughs) go through this. So I felt hurt. I felt missed. I felt distrusted. I felt wronged. I felt unseen. I felt unworthy. I felt angry i felt lonely and naming the emotions it can often help us identify the depth of the pain that was caused this is important when we are walking through forgiveness because we are truly when we acknowledge the depth of the pain that is caused we're truly counting the cost to us of forgiving that person as we example jesus your pain is real it's valid You're not just being emotional. It's not just silly. I think sometimes we look at our emotions like, oh, it's so silly that I feel this way about this thing. It's not silly. Let that be something that leads you into asking some of these questions. Lastly, as we walk through forgiveness, it's important to acknowledge the results. Here's what I mean by results. Someone may have said or done one thing to you when you were five years old that has plagued you for the last 15 years. Here's an example of that um, from, from my brother's life. So my brother was in fourth or fifth grade. He would sing all the time. <laughs> he would just loved to sing. And he was really into music, and he had a couple friends who were really into music, and they decided that, as fourth and fifth graders might do, that they were going to start their own band. And so... They were starting this band, and so they had a rehearsal one day, and they were going to, over to one of the guys' house. And my brother is there, and, he's, and they're, they're starting to play some music, and, or maybe they just had music on in the background. I don't know the exact scenario, but my brother is singing along. And one of the guys in the group, and kind of the leader of the pack, <laughs> looks at my brother and says, Oh, man, you have a terrible voice. Maybe he even said it in jest. So small, right? And yet my brother has not sung publicly for the last 30 years. He's 39 years old. So this one seemingly small little comment has plagued my brother, has caused embarrassment, has caused shame, even to the point when he was asked to sing in, a, in his band class when he was in, in eighth or ninth grade, that he refused, and he actually got sent down to the principal's office. It's caused embarrassment and shame for years. If my brother were to walk through forgiveness of this kid and not acknowledge the 30 years of pain and shame and embarrassment that have resulted from that, I don't think he would be doing it justice. <clears throat> In some cases, actions like emotional or sexual abuse change the course of our lives. And if anything like this surfaces as you walk through forgiveness, you might not even know that it's there. I strongly encourage you to talk to a pastor or a counselor. These things are incredibly painful, and I encourage you not to walk through them alone. We often deal with lots of anger and shame when these things surface, so it can be really helpful to have someone else to walk beside you through this offering the love and grace of Jesus in the process. A friend of ours from New York City has carefully and cautiously been walking through forgiveness with the Lord for a lot of things, including sexual harassment and abuse. It's been a long, long and arduous journey, but she would also be the first to tell you how valuable this process has been. As she's been walking through this process, and Teal and I have seen her in person and i've talked with her on facetime she has begun to actually look different like her forehead and eyebrows are lifting her jaw is less clenched than it used to be she's more present in conversations with us she's able to give us more Unforgiveness can take a physical toll as well as a spiritual, mental, and emotional toll. And as we walk through forgiveness, shlom, this whole healing begins to take place. So I'm sure many of you might even remember random moments about your past when someone said or did something to you. And you might be remembering them even right now. So please take the time to look a little more deeply into those moments. When you have the opportunity and as the Lord leads. I want that to be clear because some of them can be very overwhelming. And so walk with the Lord in this and seek wisdom and counsel. If you use this sheet, this sentence, as a tool in prayer with the Lord or while sitting with a pastor or counselor, I encourage you to actually say the words out loud. Vocalizing forgiveness carries power. As you can see uh, on that, the breakdown simply reads, I forgive this person for action taken, word spoken, action not taken or word not spoken, which made me feel blank and which has resulted in blank. At the top of that page is a prayer. If you begin to walk through forgiveness, allow this simple prayer to align you with the Lord and to let the Lord reveal certain situations. My hope for you as you begin walking through forgiveness is not for you to be digging around in your past trying to find something to forgive or someone to forgive. That is exhausting and often unhelpful. Because <laughs> we're like, oh, that, we, I don't know, I should find something by now. Rather, I trust that if you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, that the Holy Spirit will reveal people and situations to you when we give him space to do so. And often, particularly for people we are close to, uh, multiple scenarios will arise. That's just normal because we live close to that person. Know that the practice of forgiveness is not about proving how awful someone else is, but rather it is for your freedom and joy. It is for your obedience and understanding of what you have received in Jesus. And it is a release of the person who wronged you. Here's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not complaining or blaming or heaping coals on someone else. It's not the aim. Often the people we forgive are often the people who are closest to us because they actually have greatest access to our hearts. And so walking through forgiveness can feel weird because you're forgiving somebody that you love deeply. That's okay because the aim is not to heap anything upon them. Secondly, it's not a time to minimize your own pain. We're, we are free to be brutally honest when we walk through forgiveness so that we can fully acknowledge the pain and hurt that we experienced. We don't need to soften the blow. When we acknowledge the hurt caused, we are not playing judge. So we are not determining a punishment or judgment on the other person. We are simply seeking to acknowledge the true depth of pain caused to us in order to fully release the individual from ourselves and over to the Lord who is both completely just and who is completely merciful. And so so if you're afraid to hand this person over to the Lord because you want them to deserve the right punishment, trust me, God is completely just. But if you're afraid to hand this person over to the Lord because you really love them and you don't want them to be hurt in this scenario, trust me, the Lord is completely merciful too. Or trust, don't trust me, trust the scriptures. (laughs) The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Finally, offering forgiveness to others can lead to a helpful conversation. Normally, I don't start these conversations with the phrase, hey, Teal, I forgive you for this thing that you did. I normally come to that person and I say, hey, when you did this or when you said this, that hurt What that does is that opens up the opportunity for the other person to tell you what was going on in them. And it might give you greater understanding of what was happening. Because what felt so hurtful to you may actually have been something slightly more nuanced than you understood. And it also gives the other person the opportunity to apologize. These are some, often some of the most helpful and forming conversations with others as we work through conflict. However, I don't want to assume that that God is always asking us to approach others. So, as I encourage you to walk through forgiveness, I'm not saying now go talk to all of those people who you who are coming to your mind. <clears throat> Specifically if there are people you don't have relationships with anymore, my encouragement is just forgive them and leave them be. Don't try to reignite a relationship. And then, in general, seek wisdom and counsel, and really seek to keep in step with the Spirit as you as you wonder if if you should go talk to this person. It's not a formula, in, but it's an invitation um, that that you really want to be in step with the Spirit in that way. As I finish, I realize that. As you begin walking through forgiveness, that it will be really clunky. It sounds weird. <laughs> like Dave, even the other day was apologizing for not telling me that he had canceled a meeting, and I like felt weird saying like, "Hey, I forgive you." And so I like even worded it kind of weakly. I was like, um, "You you have forgiveness, Dave." <laughs> um, so it's clunky. It's kind of weird because it's not a part of our culture. We want to be different than our culture as the body of Christ. And also, let's not let forgiveness be something that becomes overly weighty. My wife and I, we walk through forgiveness pretty regularly, probably about once a week. Something comes up where one of us is coming to the other and apologizing for something, and uh, we're walking through forgiveness. It's becoming normalized in our family. So, I mainly say that that we begin to normalize this practice of forgiveness and save ourselves from becoming bitter, annoyed, frustrated, passive, aggressive people. So, we're going to enter into a time of communion. So, if you are preparing for communion, this is your cue. Communion is uh, this beautiful invitation in, from our Lord Jesus. So if you are not a Christian, I actually encourage you not to partake in this practice or just let the, the crackers and the, and the small cups pass. Because um, <clears throat> it, it doesn't really do anything for you. For, if you're a Christian, this is an invitation from Jesus To remember him as he was walking to the cross later that very night. That he invited us to commune with one another by partaking of his body and his blood. As we're doing this today, I encourage you to even begin asking the Lord, is there is there anyone, Lord, that you are inviting me to forgive? Just let the Lord surface some people in your mind. You might be surprised that somebody who you don't even think about very often comes to your mind. Um, but like I said earlier, this isn't something that you need to force. So don't, don't go digging, finding, trying to find something, but just ask the Lord, is there anyone I need to forgive? And write that down. And then walk through that later, whether that's with someone else or, or with the Lord. Also on that sheet, I just gave you an example of a column, a chart that you could use to just begin writing down some names. The first time I began walking through forgiveness, I probably wrote down 50 names. It's because I had never done it before. And so that, that chart is to help you begin thinking about this if you haven't done this before. So Lord, thank you. Jesus, you are our Lord and Savior. In your righteousness, you brought us justification. In your death, you brought us justification. So we thank you, Jesus. And Father, you raised Jesus from the dead and you brought him next to you, sat him right down next to your right hand to rule and to reign. So Jesus, as our King, we partake in your body and blood. You are a good king. We are delighted to serve and to worship you. We love you and pray this. Evening.